0: Good morning. Good morning, wasn't that great? I just love, it. especially when they work this stuff in. When they leave, use that, so glad the new stuff. I like that. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome. My name's Tyler. So glad that you're with us. If you're visiting, I'm glad that you're here. Um, be in prayer, please. You know, you know, it's that time of year, right? And that's always. This is always my favorite time of year. And so, on. so, just keep those people in prayer. If you are like, hey, to say, to reach out and to check in on how they're doing. Okay, that's your mission for the week. And what we're doing this morning. Thank you guys also for your generosity. Thank you for your response. Either in stuffed animals to foster kids this Friday. And so we'll, we'll, we'll coordinate that. Thank you also for giving just financially in your, your advent of waiting. Advent season is about ordering our lives around their arrival and birth of Jesus. Room for us talked about last week was that God's people need lives. You always need to make space there's always space right I was having uh, lunch uh, with some people and people kept coming and it was like oh we could just find another table we could find another table right and and find another chair and just make room at the table and then earlier this week I was out and meeting with someone and and I watched these group of ladies like pull these tables together and and then like people kept coming and I was at a table for two, but there was two other chairs. And like, can we borrow these? Or like, like, who would ever say, no, I need that for my bag, right? You know, but just this idea that there's always more space at the table. There's always more space at the table of our lives for Jesus. and, and But the Advent season is the perfect time for new efforts to make room for him and also maybe to renew some ones that you've done growing up. And in your walk. And so this morning I want to start at the beginning of Matthew and read the genealogy of Jesus. And we're going to see a couple of figures here in in this text this morning. We'll start here. By the way, we're going to be jumping all over the place. So just be ready in your brain. We'll also have it on the board. But starting in chapter 1 of Matthew. Matthew writes this in verse 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Okay, so. Before we do any genealogy, Matthew is wanting to say to the reader this morning and to us, is that there's something very important about Jesus, David, and Abraham. Okay? Abraham was the father of Isaac, as verse 2 continues, and Isaac the father of Jacob. I I love these passages, but I always mess all these names up, so you're going to have to forgive me. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah and Batamar... And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, see, there you go, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz. Is that where Salmon gets its name, by the way? I'm just curious. I don't know. Do you say Salmon? If it's someone's name, do you say Salmon instead of Salmon? I don't know. Okay. Okay. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Interestingly enough, all these people are really important, but they describe, Matthew describes David as the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. (gasps) And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of who? Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, were almost home, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, in the time of the deportation of Babylon. So this is like an oral history of the nation of Israel, right? This is what they did. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shittil, and Shittil, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, whatever, and Abud, sorry, I'll meet you in heaven one day, the father of Elikim, and Elikim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim and Achim, or Achim, and the father of Elud, and Elud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Nathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph oh here we go finally the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born who was called Christ Christ there you go 14 generations from Abraham to David David to Babylon Babylon I believe to Jesus if I remember correctly By the way, I don't practice those names so it would be a little bit more funny for you guys. So there you go. So out of all the people in this list, which are, I don't know, I didn't count them, the three main ones that we're going to focus on this morning is Abraham, David, and Jesus. And so what is so important about the relationship between these three and waiting? Well, they, they involve waiting. And on the waiting piece, let's just go ahead and say one thing. Let's just get this clear, right? On the waiting piece... Let's just say that God takes his time. I'm agreed? Would you agree with that? He doesn't work on my time. He doesn't work on your time. He works on his time. Sometimes our timing aligns with his, but often it doesn't. Sometimes I'm like, God, it'd be really great if you just did this thing, and like, it would make so much perfect sense. And it usually doesn't work that way. But then sometimes when he does things in a way that I don't understand, it always makes perfect sense. Usually we want God to fix things in our timing, but often he doesn't because here's the thing, God doesn't fix us, he forms us, he wants us to be in his likeness, and oftentimes that doesn't happen when we're like, God man, if you just really do all these things and fix this and fix that, it's almost like the genealogy, if you'll do this and that, I'll do this and that, and then we're off to the races. But I just want to say a truth. It's, you know, a good friend of mine said this, and it's just stuck with me for the past couple of weeks. Truth is God uses his timing to form us. God is in the formation business. He's not in the fixing business. If he wanted to just fix you and me, then he would allow us to work our way to him. And he doesn't do that. He, allow, he calls us to submit to him, And in that submission is where he forms us. He makes us more like him. He molds us into the person that he wants us to be. I don't know if you understand this or not, but who you are is good if you know Jesus. But it's not the be-all, end-all right now, this second. He wants you to become something. He wants you to become something more than what you are in Christ. He's forming you. He's forming us. He's smoothing out these edges. And what I love about just this idea is, if I'm supposed to become something, that means I'm walking away from something that I am right now. When I think about that just spiritually, what I was pre-Jesus and now who I am in Jesus, it's like I walked right up out of the grave. Amen? Amen. Amen. Abraham, where it all started, I'll point you to Genesis twelve. This is a familiar passage that I should find without a bookmark. There it is. Genesis twelve. Remember the, the the connection here is between Abraham, David, and Jesus. And in Genesis twelve, verses one and three says this Now the Lord said to Abram, not Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. You ever heard this, right? This is where this comes from. Bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God calls Abram to leave his home, everything that he knows, to go to the country that he has for him, the land, And Abraham waited 25 years for God's promise to come true. 25 years. Now, Abram, right, you know, like, to them, blessing is not financial. Although he had all the money and all the stuff, it was children. And, you know, if you know the story with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, we looked at it two weeks ago, is that Abram was waiting on a son. And if you know the story, he took control and decided to, God, you're not going to fix this for me. you're not I'm tired of waiting for you to form me. I want I'm just going to take the control of my hands and make my own way. And of course, you know we get all the things. but twenty five years God or Abram waited for God to do what he said he would do. Just a couple of pages later, Genesis 15 one through twenty, I know we're going to read a lot this morning, but I think it's important. After these things, the word of the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 15 came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. So God's now reminding Abram of the original promise that he said in verse 12. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? Remember what I just said a second ago? Abram's thinking kid. God's thinking formation. Formation. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Elazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. I love this. Before this came to us, the word of the Lord, God speaking to Abram, and he said, This man shall not be your heir. And behold, the word not be your heir, and brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven." And number the stars if you're able to number them. you ever tried to count stars? Like on a really, really clear night. I know that's sometimes possible in the Metroplex, right? But if you ever try to count the stars that you can see in the Metroplex, like you can't because you lose your place, right? Just the idea of that God is so big and God is so great that he never loses his position relative to stars in the cosmos. He's that big. He's that great. So if you're able to number them, and he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, concentrate here. Let's not miss this this morning. A yam, three, uh, ram, excuse me, not a yam. Man, a yam three years old would be bad. I don't even like yams, by the way. A ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and he brought him all, even with marshmallows, they're not that good. But anyway, I brought him all these and cut them in half and lay each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Sounds like a great nap, right? But behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said, Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land. That means a newcomer lacking inherited rights. Your offspring will be newcomers lacking inherited rights in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good Old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces on that day. The Lord made a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. It's contractual, but it's not a contract. He made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of Canaanites and the Kizanites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Pezerites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. There's more names for me to mess up. Verse 5, a restatement of the first promise. I will make you a great nation so much so that your offspring will number The uncountable stars in the heaven. God is saying, no, actually, what I said long ago is actually still in play. I'm just restating it to you. And I love verse 6. This is our faith journey. It's this right here in Abram's response. Abram believed in God's ability, so it was credited to Abram as righteousness. Abram couldn't make it work, although he tries, right? We know that's part of the story. But justification, the idea of justification, being able to stand before a holy God by faith, begins here in the covenant with God in with Abram. Abram took God at his word, and that's what you and I do when we believe in Christ. Verses 7 through 11, God, how am I supposed to possess the land you have given me I have not received? So covenants, as I said a second ago, they're contractual, but they're more than Contracts. They're legally binding, and the idea is with a covenant is that usually the weaker agrees to the contract with the stronger party, and it becomes the weaker's burden to uphold the covenant, right? It's not the stronger, it's the weaker. And the idea is is that the stronger of the two parties has conquered the weaker, and it's now dependent upon the weaker to uphold in submission to the stronger person does that make sense okay but then we get to verse 17 talk about grace this morning talk about trying to earn your way i was thanking the lord this morning i don't have to work my way to him i don't have to earn my way to him it all starts here in chapter 15 let me read verse 17 again and when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoky pot Now remember abram's still waiting 25 years for all this to come true in verse 17 it says the sun had gone down and it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, and you know the rest. To your offspring, I give this land. Was it that Abram made a covenant with the Lord? The Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so, the Lord, God, who is obviously the stronger of the two, who sent Abram from where he was to where he is going, is the stronger of the two, not only grants the promises, right? He's upholding, saying, hey, I know it hasn't happened yet, but here's the promise. But then he also takes it upon himself to uphold the covenant. God is saying, don't just believe in my ability. That's what Abram did, right? God, I believe you. I don't, you know, I don't, this is kind of weird that you're talking to me and you're sending me somewhere, but I believe you. And God credits it as righteousness He believes God's ability, but now God is saying, actually, you can believe my motivation. See the difference? That's where we get stuck in waiting, isn't it? It's either we're questioning God's abilities or his motivations towards us. And Abram here says, or God is saying here, actually, don't just believe my ability. Believe my motivation. My abilities towards you, Abram, are good. Now my motivation is towards you as good as well. Hebrews 6.13 says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. See that? God swore by himself. And when the waiting, though, we usually question either God's motivation or abilities, if not both. And this is why you and I can't earn our way to God. I think this is actually, there's more we're going to get to, and as I'm, really running out of time, but this was just mind-breaking to me this week. I just spent so much time here as this. We can't earn our way to God. I think we, most of us might understand that because we're not perfect enough to do it, right? That makes sense. Like, you know you. I know me. We know each other, right, to some degree hopefully a good degree. Like, we can't work our way to God because I'm not the right sacrifice. But this is the thing that kind of broke my brain If God allowed us or you and me to work our way to him, covenantally, he would break his own agreement. He can't allow us to do that because it's on him. Isn't that freedom? Not only does he say, Tyler, you don't have to worry about your ability or your motivation toward me. My ability and motivation towards you is greater, and it's going to be on me. He can't allow us to work our way to him. Or otherwise, God would break his own promise and would no longer be God. Isn't that glorious? You ever thought about that? I hadn't. Evidently, I hadn't. Although, I, you know, and I was just like, wait, there's no way. So, like, for me this week, it's like, I don't have to, I have to live more like him, but I don't have to put the pressure myself to perform. Because even if I was 100% right, God would still put it on him. And then I just felt this deep sense of freedom just wash over me this week. This deep sense of freedom that even if I do it all right, that it's still on him. So I should stop focusing on me trying to do all the right things and focus on him whose motivation and ability is perfect. And yet Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac. And when God made Abraham and us wait on him, he affirms his place in the covenant and ours. And I think that's something we miss when we're waiting, we forget, God, we're in such need, we're in such pressure, we're in such pain. Maybe it's a good thing. We're just wanting to celebrate. I just can't wait, right? Breath to graduate. Like, I can't wait. And yet, not only is God forming us, he's allowing himself to become the God of the covenant that he made with us. And center his place in the agreement. That just broke my heart this week that God in his grace and mercy would uphold his own agreement and not even put it on me. David, the second person that we're focusing on, the king after God's own heart, significant because Israel chooses a king for themselves like the other nations around, if you know the story, and Saul. God had a representative for the people in the form of a prophet named Samuel, but Israel wanted a king, and of course they choose the king who looks the part and says the right things but somewhere inside his heart is devoid, his spirit is devoid of the right things. I won't even talk about our politicians today. The first Samuel says this, and I'm not talking about parties either. First Samuel chapter 16, verses, starting in verse one. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? There's the king. Since I have rejected him for being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you the Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself. Here you go. God upholding his place in the agreement, right? I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The king will think it's treachery, and it is treachery. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord which is not untrue. I just like that. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. By the way, if you don't know what to do and whatever it is that you're waiting in, ask God to show you what to do. Just say, God, can you show me? Because I don't know. I've been doing it my way. It's not working too well. Can you just show me what to do? Show me what to do in this situation. Show me what to do in this relationship. Show me what to do at school. Show me what to do with my family, my friends. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city. By the way, when the prophet shows up, it's either a good thing or a bad thing. And I love verse 4, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Isn't that great? I just think that's funny. That's what I would do. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm in trouble. That's usually what I think. Verse five, and he said, "Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice." And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Elab, Elab, or whatever his name is, and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before him." But the Lord said to same, "Do not look on his appearance." Here you go. Or the height of his statue, stature because I have rejected him. Don't look at the outside things. Look deeper. The deeper things are a little harder to see. It takes a little bit more time for them to come out. Waiting. Waiting. For the Lord, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and Ab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Here's the idea about inheritance in Old Testament Israel. It's the oldest, and then the next, and then the next, and the next, like stair steps, walking down steps. Right? And yet the Lord has not chosen any of these. And and Samuel's like, wait, God told me to come. I've consecrated myself. I'm in treachery against the king. Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, who, by the way, is the runt of the litter, who would have no place at the table, giving the rules of that society. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. I love that. This is the guy that's about to be anointed king, and what is he doing? He is a shepherd-keeping sheep. Sounds a little, a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So even though God doesn't look at the outside, I just you know, he wasn't ugly. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Can you imagine what the older brothers must have thought? Like, what? This guy? This guy? Really? Wait, God, you're going to make me wait? Really? Look at all the stuff I've done. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God anointed a king. Who immediately went right back in the service to the king, who was on his way out. There are times that God will ask you and me to step into a season that He has for you and for me, or our church, and it might not actually radically change the situation or the season that we're currently in. Waiting, it's waiting. Verse three: I will show you who I want you to anoint. Right, the elders came, trembling. Peacefully I come. Are all your sons here? Anoint this one who least expects it. And once he is king, I will move him into service of the king I attend him to replace. Sometimes when God is moving us on to something, he doesn't alleviate our current circumstances. And yet sometimes I think we think we miss God in the middle of that. It was 15 years before David became king from that moment to the day. Just like Abraham waited 25, David's waiting 15 and he spent those 15 years in service and running for his life because the king wanted to kill him. And you're like but God we're waiting on you. You haven't done that thing. I'm holding on to this truth. You've made me a promise. And God said I did and you don't have to question my ability or my motivation towards you anymore. David's covenant by the way, here you go a separate but a continuation of the covenant with Abraham. And we're going to read it in 2 Samuel 7 through chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. Three things about David's covenant. One, he wanted to build a house for God. So let's just pick this out. <clears throat> Where am I? There I am. You know, when they, I always get these passages right on the page turn. I hate that. Just make a Bible where there's no page turners on anything important. How about that scripture? <laughs> but the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So here you go. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this page turned day. There you go but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I have commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Here's the covenant. I took you from the pasture, from from following the sheep, that you should be the prince over my people, Israel, and I have been with you everywhere you went. I've been with you everywhere you went. Just like God went everywhere with Abraham, he has now gone everywhere with David. And if you know David's story, he's playing the harp to soothe Saul's, the current king's spirit. And sometimes Sauls wanted to murder him, so he, God is with him as he's running. And God is with him as he's hiding in the cave. Like, you ever find yourself like, today I think is a good day where I could face my problems. I could face my issues. God is with you. There are times where you're like, I don't, can't do it today. I've got to retreat. I've got to pull back. God is with you. I just don't want to face it. I want to hide today. I don't want to see anyone. God is with you. And he was with David, he was with Abraham, he's with you and me. Through the covenant, David made with David. it wasn't just Israel that was blessed, but all the peoples through David's descendants. So here you go. Like here's the continuation. Psalm 89 verses 1 through4 says this, "I will this is, I love this. I will, you might know this one. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make known you faithfulness to all generations. That's why we worship, by the way. We worship to make known to all generations the faithfulness of the Lord. The faithfulness of the Lord. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. Here we go. I have sworn to David my servant. David is chosen. Abraham was chosen. This doesn't counteract. It builds on the covenant with Abraham. And I will establish your offspring forever and will build your throne for all generations. Isn't that great? God's going to build a holy nation and bless all people through Abraham. God is going to bless all peoples through David. That's the second one. And then the Davidic covenant is marked by wisdom a thousand years or so between David and Jesus. A thousand years before or so between David and Jesus. I don't know why God was silent there. Nobody does. But sometimes things have to play out in your situation before you'll depend on him. I think what God asks us is how long are we willing to let that play out before we just say, take it. I I submit to you. I submit to you. That seems wise, that he would allow us to run to the end of ourselves. I know that's painful. I know that's hard. I know that stinks. I've had those seasons. But I think it's his wisdom because to do it any other way would be about us, not about him. Because remember, it's his covenant to uphold, not ours to make right. Romans 1, three says this, you'll throw it on the board please. Returning now to Jesus to come Messiah and concerning his son who descended from David according to the flesh. Let me just go there because I think I left something out. Thank goodness it's there. Romans 1 3. Paul saying he was promised before uh set apart for the gospel of God and he was promised beforehand and through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son so he's talking about Jesus who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace through David we read it at the beginning right here's Abraham. There's David in the middle and Jesus at the end. Jesus is the Davidic king. There's a lots of other kings before that, but the Davidic king is special because the Davidic king is the one who promises the Messiah. Right? There's all these other kings, but if they're not in David's line, then they're not the Messiah. And by the way, there's lots of stories about lots of messiahs in Israel. Like, hey, I'm the Messiah. And then they kill him and then they just move on. Right? Right? Just like Jesus, right? I mean, that's what happens. There's been so many, but Jesus fits the mold because he upholds the covenant that God made with David who is upholding the covenant that he made with Abraham coming from his line. That's why I mispronounced all those names on the front end because Jesus is the direct line from Abraham to your heart. To your heart. Jesus completes. He doesn't just Continue, he completes God's promise that God had to fulfill with Abraham. It makes perfect sense, right? If the idea of a covenant is that the weaker upholds the covenant, God had no one to swear by more than him, then why wouldn't he send God himself in the flesh to fulfill the covenant? If God fails to keep his oath with Abraham, he invokes a curse upon himself and sends his son. Get this, don't miss this, right? I know this is a little... Imagery here, as God passed through the carcasses of the torn animals into, he sent his son to be torn into on behalf of me and you. And God is mighty and strong and upholds his covenant. Post-ascension, I know, can you imagine what it was like on that night, right? I mean, just... Post But even in Jesus' birth, we'll get to those texts we have. But just that waiting for a thousand years upon years, upon deportation, upon coming back, they were waiting for the Messiah to show up. And instead of being heralded as a king and kicking Herod off the throne, he comes in the form of a baby in the cradle of Bethlehem, the city of what? David. See that? Davidic king. Joseph line of David. And so you and for me, I think that the, the thing that makes it hard for you and for me in this season of Advent is that we know the story. And I think when we know the story, sometimes we become numb to the story, right? But post ascension, you and I should be looking at the Advent season with expectancy and waiting and faith and renewal and hope that God has overcome in That's what this season is for you and for me. That God has overcome in Christ. There will be a day that we will be waiting no more. There will be a day that we are waiting no more. So let's live like that. Let's love like that. Let's serve like that. Let's give like that. Let's be a community like that. Where we are waiting on a day that we will no longer wait anymore. And that God's covenant will be complete as we Ascend, and he descends, and I was thinking about this in the waiting, especially when it's long, especially when it's annoying, especially when it's hard. I think we learn three principles about ourselves: one waiting reveals our true priorities, doesn't it? You ever thought about that? like you think you know what you want and then you don't get it, and then you really find out what you want you know god i was I was wanting this vehicle. Right? But, man, I really like the package of that vehicle. I wonder if there's a way I could get from this vehicle to afford that vehicle. You ever thought about that? What's the best use of the dollars that I have, right? Waiting reveals our true priorities. And yet God is wise to allow you and me to wait for whatever it is that we're waiting on. Number two, when our patience and priorities are tested, our imperfections have a chance to come to the surface. Right? Right? Our imperfections have a chance to come to the surface and in God and his grace and mercy says, oh, oh, there's that. You should just rake that away like you would rake dross off gold. Remember, Abraham and David both tried to circumvent God's processes and had disastrous outcomes for all of that. But then here's number three. This is what I think the one I wanted you to land on this morning. Waiting reveals, in the waiting, especially when it's long, is we get a fresh start with God to submit and trust Him. That's what this season is. You and I get a fresh start to wait and to trust and to submit to who God is. We get to do that while we're waiting for His final return. So I think the band's going to come back up. And so as we're waiting, I just, you know, I hope what's happening right now. And that You're thinking, oh, man, I'm waiting on this, or I'm waiting on that, or I'm waiting on this, I'm waiting on that. Man, this has been a really long time that I've been waiting on that. Just start to think these things. And I just want to give Tanya like 30 seconds or so just to play some chords over this. And I just want you to spend some time with yourself before God and just say this, God, I am waiting on you to do this. Can you do that? Just as so she plays quietly. got that thing don't let it go yet you got it it's sitting right here sitting right here hopefully it's sitting right here you got that thing that thing you think's impossible the thing you think that's never going to happen remember the truth from the beginning God is wanting to use that circumstance for you and for me not to fix us but to form us can't happen without waiting So oftentimes we try to walk away from the very thing that we need and that's not for him to give it to us. It's for him to form us because there'll be another thing we need tomorrow. There'll be another one tomorrow. But God is wanting to form us and he can't do that if we want him to fix all the things. So now I want you to take just a few seconds. Tony's going to continue to play and say, okay, God, I really want this thing I really need you to do this. I need you to fill this, fix this hurt, this disease, this illness, this broken relationship, this money problem, me trying to earn my way to you. And now say, okay, God, I give that back to you. All that's still true. But now I want you to use it for me. Show me what your purpose is in that. Just 15 seconds. God wants you and me. He'll do everything. He's done everything to make you and me more like Jesus. So we're going to sing because Advent is the celebration of waiting on God's arrival and you and I just spent 45 seconds acknowledging that He has come. Amen. Amen. Stay and pray with me. God, as we stand and sing and still continue to reflect on whatever that thing was. Now, there's a lot of things. And you're a good God, and you're a big God, and you're a great God. And God, I just want to say over us this morning that it's easy to question your abilities and your motivation, but it's the harder work to say, no, God, you are good. You are true. God, your abilities are perfect and your motivations are perfect whether we see them or not. And I'm thankful, God, that you took it upon yourself not just to make me a sacrifice, try to earn my way to you, but God, you took it upon yourself to uphold the agreement that you made with Abraham so long ago. It's in that standing, Lord, that we stand. So I pray as we sing and we are celebrating and waiting on The arrival of your son in whom all things have been joined and are held together. Lord, that thing that we were just spending some time with you about, may we affirm as we sing that it is joined and held together by Jesus. It's in your name.